0: I'm Coach Tony Miller and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Coffee with Coaches presented by a Quick Timeout Podcast. Before we get going, I want to thank our partners at Dr. Dish Basketball If you watched the show last week, you heard about all the ways in which you can use the dish to help train your players. Right now, if you mention quick timeout, you'll receive $300 off select models. After the show is over, head over to the Dr. Dish Basketball website at drdishbasketball.com. Today, we are privileged to be joined by the head coach at Milton High School in Milton, Georgia, Coach Alan Whitehart. Coach, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is always a great opportunity to learn and grow. So anytime I get an opportunity to do something like this, I definitely jump on it.
0: Before we get too far into things, we usually like to give our guests kind of a quick uh, opportunity to run down where they've been and how they got there. So your path to Milton looked like what?
1: As I as I came to Atlanta, my wife and I moved down after school at Chapel Hill, there in North Carolina. Um, I was actually in the fitness industry. I was a kinesiology major, and was working in the fitness industry and still played basketball, still hung out. Um, And then there was a woman that was constantly in my gym. Her name was Cindy Brogdon. She actually was Pat Summitt's first recruit to Tennessee. She and I were always talking hoops. And she said, hey, I've got a guy that's looking for a volunteer assistant at Centennial High School. Would you be interested? I was like, yeah, I'd love to go sit down with him. Um, So I was. I was the JV coach for a year. I was a – he – Got fired, so a new coach came on. So I was his mm-hmm. assistant offensive coordinator for two years. He he stepped down. He was the athletic director as well, and I got the head job. You know, we'd won eighteen to nineteen games, and then I caught lightning in a bottle that first year as a head coach. Went to the state finals in the highest classification, losing by one in, at the um, at the buzzer. And that kind of springboarded me into having really good teams. I was blessed to coach really talented kids. Um, talent is a lot of our winning, trust me. <laughs> then I left there. I went to Buford High School for five years. It um, was unbelievable. Again, they had been struggling quite a bit. Um, I think they were 8 and 17 to three years up before I arrived. We made another run to the state finals. Then I think we went to the final four in the state finals again in my five years there. Um, and, and actually, my son was a five-year-old, so I took a year off. Um, went into corporate sales and... Kind of tried to stay away from basketball just so I could concentrate on the sales thing. My son at that time was at Pace Academy and they had the kid Wendell Carter who's with the Bulls I believe now and he begged me as a five-year-old to go to that game and I promise you man it was like it it was it was hard to sit there. I I found myself taking notes on a scrap sheet of paper statting and I literally went home that day and I told my wife I said I'm going to finish coaching the five-year-olds this year because I was coaching my son's team. And as jobs opened in February, April, as as schools were getting knocked out, I uh, was blessed to get a job at Etowah High School. They were very similar coming off an eight or nine win season. Um, Never had really won. They were a 40-year-old school, never had won a region title that first year with them. Um, Won 20 games, won the first region title in school history, uh, made it to the Sweet 16. And Milton came calling, um, where I am now and culturally structurally all of the above it was like when i came here this school is a very nice school the high academics the school is just got rated as one of the 10 most beautiful high schools in america phenomenal but when i got here it was like pulling the curtain back in the wizard of oz there were six basketballs in the entire program there were mis- mixed match uniforms it was just it was awful Um, So that first year, we, you know, we actually the first two to three years, we were, it was a cultural cleanup. It was um, setting standards, getting, I mean, they didn't have a 501 C3 for their booster club. I mean, I could go on and on on the things that we had to do. But now last year, year three, I thought we were a year ahead. We made a run to the final four, starting two freshmen, two sophomores. And we've got essentially everybody back besides a senior. And I'll have all those kids, the majority of my roster for the next two years, which is exciting. So that's kind of where I am today. I'm here going into my fourth year at Milton. Really excited. Um, got great opportunities. So we'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: If you're listening to this, and by chance you haven't put things together, this is the Milton High School that typically is one of the top programs in the state of Georgia, and you know often in the country. Coach was just talking about it a little bit, but they're projected next year to be in the top ten. So I, I want to ask you, Coach, a question kind of related to that. How do you manage those kinds of expectations, especially with a group that we were talking beforehand? You had a really young group. And even this year, you're not full of of seniors or anything. So this is something where you could potentially have a a good group over the next couple of years. And obviously, with social media and and technology, and they're able to hear it from their friends, how great they are. How do you manage those kinds of expectations? You know, we're
1: we're constantly telling the kids, block out the noise. Um, You're only as good as your last workout. We just use crazy things. Like we say, your, your your reputation's based on your repetition. Are you getting better? Are you doing the things that require us to be a better basketball team? You know, and, and yeah, there's some hype there and they're young kids and, you know, that they get the, the social media hype. Um, we just constantly, I mean, we have a group of workers, which is a really good thing for our culture. Our best players are our hardest workers. Um, and that's always what you strive for. You know, but we don't we don't we we take the elephant out of the room. We never let him just sit in there and get comfortable. We talk about the expectations that we have, the community. They've been here before. You know, they know what the expectations are. We don't hide from it, but we work for it. What people think of you is flattering, but what you actually do when the rubber meets the road is really gonna decide how good you are.
0: You mentioned heading into year four culture wise. Do you, do you feel comfortable where things are at or are you still kind of in the process of things becoming what you want them to be?
1: No, I think I think we're there. We talk about OKGs, our kind of guys, um, our best players. Um, we have two top 20 um, players in the country in their respective classes and a couple top 100 and top 50 kids. So with them, we the thing we talk about, which kind of sums up everything that we do in our culture is we want givers, not takers. If, everybody's, if we have a, a team of givers, we feel like the better we play, the the better everybody will get in the end. Everybody will get what they deserve if everybody's a giver and not a taker.
0: So if you're watching this, you can see it down at the bottom, the ticker. We're going to talk a little bit now about zone offense, zone defense, kind of change gears a little bit. Coach has, has spoken on this topic before. I wanted to talk about something that we haven't necessarily talked a lot about in this show, and that's specifically matchup zone. Is this something that you picked up on your own? Is it something that a previous coach had used with you? Where was kind of like the the foundation or the beginning of your philosophy for matchup zone defense?
1: When Ron Hunter was at Georgia State, I think I had four or five kids go play for Coach Hunter um, when he was there. He's at Tulane now, but they did a really good job with a matchup zone. He'll never call it a zone, but he says it's a matchup. And I really liked a lot of the things they did, which led me down a rabbit hole. Honestly, I started looking all over, hitting all of my resources, trying to figure out what I liked. And I'm I'm am a I'm a morph kind of guy. I never take one thing and just keep it as it is. I kind of blend things together um, just in my research. I'm like, I like this, but I don't like that. So I kind of married Georgia State into there's a gentleman. Um, I think he's at uh He was at Washington State for a while. His name is Sylvie Dominguez. Really, if you're really looking at matchup zone, there's a great clinic video out there that has his matchup zone. So I married the two of those matchups together. Um, Things I like from one, things I like from another. But the base of it would have came from Sylvie Dominguez. And it, it it just gives you a great opportunity to cause confusion. And the slides are a lot different than a lot of people on the offensive side are really looking at. And it just, you know, it gives you an opportunity to keep the ball out of the paint. Um, And most of it, it's it's a lot of contested jump shots, and it gives you a chance to really be disruptive.
0: I ran a poll on Twitter asking coaches how many of them use matchup zone. 41% of them said yes, which actually I thought was a little bit higher. Than, I would, agree. You know, I, I predicted it would be. But then, of course, that leaves 58 percent who said no. And I'm sure there's various reasons for that. But I'll speak for myself in the past, at least. My main reason for not teaching a matchup zone was just simply I, I didn't know a lot about it. And so there may be this idea that you just kind of like play zone, but you switch. But there's more to it than that. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's I mean, you know, and that's the, that's the other thing we I mean, you put a lot of time into developing it. And with anything, just like with offense or any other defense, when your kids are really comfortable, when we've been really good at it, I think the last time we ran it, our opponents averaged 46 points a game. When we ran it as our base offense, I mean, I'm sorry, our base defense. Because really what it does, it it, it incorporates a lot of the man-to-man principles, your closeouts. It really keeps, it stops dribble penetration, constant ball pressure on the ball you use the man-to-man concepts, which you're already teaching in your shell drills anyway, with closeout drills, triangle drills. Um, but then more importantly, man, and anybody listening would know this, when you're going to get somebody that runs something kind of different, it kills your prep time. It, now, all of a sudden, instead yeah. of just being able to go through your offense and what you regularly run, you've got to take time to really prep, to make sure you give yourself an opportunity to be successful.
0: Right now, Huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the Return to Play program. The program includes subscriptions for every program, as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus, the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, which automatically records your home games with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get Huddle Assist. That means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how Huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit Huddle.com. That's Huddle.com to learn more what skills would you say you've mentioned the closeouts and you kind of alluded to communication, which I think would, you know, be obvious for defense to be for your team to be good at defense, but what things are you drilling or what things are you saying every practice that would make this type of defense successful?
1: I mean, first and foremost, you've got to have a a
0: well conditioned team,
1: but, but more importantly than that, you've got to have a team that's really good communicators If you don't communicate, I mean, you've got to talk through bumps. You've got to talk through. I mean, there's a lot of calls that kids are having to make together because you're shifting. For example, um, a a lot of teams like to overload a zone. So they'll swing to the wing and then they'll run that wing through baseline to overload it to the corner. We send our ball side corner. We call it alley. We're yelling alley, alley, alley that lets everybody else know I'm going with the overload corner cut from the opposite forward spot. Um, and then it gives us an opportunity not to be overloaded. We drop that other guard down in the hole for any skips to close outs. And it really causes a lot of problems. So you're not having that three-man bump that would traditionally be what you would do because our ball side forward is closing out to the wing while the ball side guard is denying the elbow. So there's a lot of, you know, without getting in all the diagrams and breakdowns, it's it's just really different. Um, it really takes away and puts pressure on the ball. So the communication I mean, you have to be a high-level communicating team.
0: Is it starting in a particular alignment? Are you, as you come down the floor, if I'm the offensive player, am I seeing a 2-3? Am I seeing a 1-3-1? What what am I initially looking at?
1: So imagine um, from the nail, on the nail, center of the free throw line. I'm old school, so I still call it the nail. Go out on a funnel, um, funnel from there, funnel to half court. We have a guy up top when the ball crosses half court, it's ball pressure. We're, we're, we're pressuring the ball. The other guy is what we call in the hole. He's there at the nail area taking, he's shifting ball side elbow, because we know the forward's going to take any wing, uh, any wing look. So it's pressure. If you're on the ball, you're in full man to man pressure. Anytime you're pointing the ball and then everything else drops behind it. And everybody's playing off of that. If it goes from the wing to the corner, that goes to a full denial. The ball does not come back up the board. Um, we're going to fully take it away, and we're going to pressure the ball in the corner man-to-man hard and, and follow everything else behind it. And then occasionally, if we feel like that guy that keeps catching the corner call, we have audibles out of it, we'll go com- fully trap it. We'll trap the corner if we feel like that kid's not a – well, two ways. If we think he's a really good scorer, we'll trap it to get it out of his hands. But if we feel like he's a the, what we call the slow gazelle, we're going to feast on him. We're going to make him or a big that mm-hmm. we don't think passes very well – we're going to force him into rush decisions.
0: I'll try to ask these all separately because these are typically the questions that I'll get is how, how do you deal with ball screens? Is it just a simple switch?
1: You know, it, it, and this is back to the Georgia state. We do a black and a white. So if it's, um, if it's an inside screen to get you going um, opposite, what we'll do is we'll pick up the ball on the screen with the opposite guard and that other guard will go under and go to the opposite side. So we'll switch sides with them. Um, you know, and, and other screens, we usually typically go under if it's an outside screen because we're okay contesting a jump shot because we feel like we've got everything loaded behind. But there again, it's scouts. I mean, for us I, and my kids, I expect them to be um, pretty sharp. If you're going to play for us, you got to be a pretty sharp kid, basketball IQ. So it's reads. You know, I'm not one of those guys that coaches kids. Well, you're going to X out and you're going to do this. My What I tell my kids, make it happen. You know what? We, I'm going to show you what needs to happen, but we're not like a perfect example. We play big boy basketball and sometimes it's hard to get around some of the post players we play against. And the kids like, well, coach, last time we played them, I couldn't get around because I couldn't do this or that. I'm like, just get around. I don't care how you get there. Just get there. Um, And it, and it gives them a little bit of ownership of what they need to do because if a kid's extremely strong and he's really got great footwork maybe he can fight through step through another kid can spin around get around in front whatever it needs I mean I don't, I don't hold them to that um, because I, I think it's about getting the job done people do it different ways yeah. and I try to give my kids a little um, autonomy with what they need to do to, to get the job done so on screens it's really scouts And it's really good because in our zone offense, we 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 screen a lot.
0: You brought it up, so I'll ask about it. The post defense, um, are you all out fronting? You know, get you said get around them. Are you are you three quarters and then trapping it? What does that look like in a matchup zone?
1: Well, we we always like to be on the front because we've got somebody behind us. It gives us a chance to get out to the corner because if they throw, you know, and, and then a lot of times, like I said, if if it's a corner, we know somebody ran with them. So the other guy's a three-quarter underneath, which will bring you around to the middle where there's, where there's help there because there's a guard drop backside. So we don't really have to front on the block. It's more of a three-quarter. We J-hook under them. I and mean, these are all things we work on every day. But we J-hook under to take it away because it forces the pass to the middle and there should be a guard there to deflect. Um, but on the, on the alley calls, we go with the corner so we don't have to front and drop. We, we bump in three-quarter.
0: Is this something that you – I'll go back to the beginning of what you mentioned. Is it something that you teach, you start out with, or are you putting all of your man-to-man principles in place? And I think I know what the answer is, but the reason I'm asking that is, you said we were talking beforehand, you have used this as just your base defense before. And you know there may be somebody out there who wants to use it as a base defense. Should they just start teaching matchup zone, or should you start with – teaching more of man to man
1: well you know part of our core identity i mean you got to be regardless if you're playing man zone if you're not really good on closeouts if you're really not good on um feet what i say, i call good feeding closeouts um you know some people push middle we push baseline out we push sideline to baseline and we'll trap short corner baseline in our in our basic man principles but, you know, we still do those slides because that's part of just being a good defender. We talk about guarding your yard. You've got to guard the three feet that you close out on. You can't get – we, 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 we mm-hmm. stat blow If you get a blow-by, you're going to get hammered for it. You're going to run for it the next day in practice. Um, we talk about those things. The things that we stat are, that are big on our defense are blow and blown scouts. Those put you in the doghouse quickly. Um, so we, we take a lot of pride mm-hmm. in those. But we really – talk about guarding your yard whether you're in man or zone because if you're on the ball you're in full man principle so i'm a whole part whole guy um we'll show it to the kids so they're not confused because a lot of players if you started out in part they they're not creative Mm -hmm. and they don't use their mind enough to, to envision other kids there so we start out whole showing them what it looks like and i'm literally talking about slides about what you would do what you would do what happens if this happens and then we'll break it down into part, which we do. We have a, we, we do with our guards, it's called two versus eight. There's eight different places where the ball could be and they're playing two versus eight. There's no scoring. It's just swinging of the ball, giving them positioning. And then we flip it. We take the guards off and we go three versus eight um, in the different slides. You know, you have offensive players and they're just, they're catching the ball. That's all they're doing. And they're being just a, a placeholder. But so we go through all of those slides And it gives us a great opportunity to go that part. And then after we've really drilled it and everybody's got an understanding and then whatever adjustments we're making with, um, with our full scout, we'll go back in and we might go, you know, eight minutes live and see what we have. And then we'll make adjustments as we uh, deem appropriate. How
0: long does this usually take to install?
1: You know, the kids pick up on it pretty quick because I mean, it's, after you start looking at it and you start figuring out what what you're going to do for um, your reads or your, your slides, it's not it's not really hard. But, you know, and, and one thing I'll tell you, one thing I really had to get better at, I call it the gray area. So if you can imagine right there at the elbow up to what I would call the volleyball and my gym, it's the volleyball hole, which is there. It's like a imagine that 45 degree pie that goes from the free throw line. It's above the wing, but it's off the middle of the floor. We call that the gray area. And we really use that in our zone offense too. Cause I mean, I started looking at stuff that would get us in that area. And so if you put a guy in that area and you put a wing, it really causes confusion. Um, So what we started doing bumping and that's part of that communication process. So that gray area is one of the things that's really not discussed, but you better, you better Pick up on it and understand that that gray area is is really an overload without being in the corner because it forces two people to be really high. You really don't want your forward out in that high wing area with a guard up in that pie, that what I call the gray area. So it really and then if you slide anything behind it on a slip or a roll through, who's getting to the corner? You got a center there that's got to go from middle of the floor all the way out to the corner. It kind of leaves you naked on a naked on a swing or a, a skip drive, dribble penetration it really causes yeah. problems.
0: I did want to ask that and maybe in addition to what you just mentioned, are there any anything else that gives that that type of zone of problems?
1: You know, um early on you'll see quick swinging of the basketball but they still only get a contested jumper. Um like for me personally in our in our zone offense regardless of what set we run, I'm a set guy. Um I call sets cuz I get to have the joystick and figure out who takes the shots but you know the the thing is quick swinging of the basketball creates dribble we want to puncture the middle in anything that we do we don't we i mean we'll shoot the wide open three on the kick out. but we really if we feel like we got you on a long closeout, we feel like we own you even in zone because those long closeouts you've got to really commit to closing out we feel like we can drive you which can causes more help somebody's got a slider you're getting into the middle and getting an easy look so then it's another kick out now you're in scramble mode now we've really you're not in zone anymore, even though you you eventually started, you know, originally started in the zone. If we keep making you go long closeouts and, you know, other help having to come and we continue to kick it, we feel like we're going to get an easier look and people are going to be out of position. So those things, those early swings. So it's it's about the communication. You've got to really create the pressure so they can't just make those, um, you know, we call it the Peyton Manning complex. Um, if you gave Peyton Manning in pocket five, six, seven seconds, you're going to lose. So we want to be pressured yeah. on the ball. Yeah. So those guys have to make fast decisions.
0: Do you practice those scenarios where you're allowing guys to get beat or just we, oh, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. to practice when this happens? We'll
1: load our zone and then we'll have the ball, let's say it's on the right wing, we will put the defender on the back foot of the ball penetration. And when the whistle goes, you're live. So it's like he's beat you on a drive. You're behind him. So all of our scrambles come no. off that drive. And that kid can make any play no. he wants to make. We're live at that point. So yeah, I mean, we, we, we create disadvantages in a lot of our stuff just in, 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 in um,
0: drills. This is a side note, but I think what I was trying to say was, I think some coaches will communicate to their players, uh, let this guy beat you so that we can have a disadvantage where instead just put them in the disadvantage, like you just said there, where they're already getting beat. And that way I'm not communicating to my defense. You know, when, when we get beat, let's do this. I think that's just the psyche of it. I just have a problem with that.
1: Well, the other part is, and, 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 we, and we've got some good athletes. I want to see you get back, mm-hmm. and get back around, get off of his hip, and try to close him off or hedge him off of his line. So we're working on real game situation. Yeah. If you can get back in front of him, he's probably not going to play much for us. <laughs> but if you can't get yeah. back around, we've got a problem. So it's it's, it's that constant competition. Yeah. Everything we do is competition-based. Everything. I mean, yeah. that I think yeah. if, if you want to compete at a high level, your DNA has to be competition.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of last, last major thing I want to ask you about. Wrinkles as far as what you can do out of it. I think you alluded to some of them earlier. But what are some things maybe that, you've seen or maybe that you guys do that you consider a wrinkle in a matchup zone that you maybe either necessarily wouldn't always do or you're saying to them out of a timeout like all right for the next three or four possessions let's do this
1: the thing that always seems they feel like it's they're comfortable to be open with is the the, the corner so when mm-hmm. the ball goes to the corner we usually deny the wing we bump out and deny the wing um, with the guard, so it doesn't come back up the board. And like I said earlier, we'll go trap the corner. They'll get used to us denying, denying, denying. And then when we feel like they're comfortable. We'll go down with that wing who's usually in denial. So we'll do a double. We'll bump down for the trap and bump that guard who usually sits what we call in the hole. We'll bump him out to the wing to take away that. So we're, and on the backside, we're playing two covering, I mean, one covering two, just like you would in any kind of trapping. Um, you know, we do the same thing in our one, two, two, and that's what we've been doing a lot of lately in our one, two, two zone defense, but it's the same principle. A lot of our stuff overlaps.
0: So, I mean, kind of like in summary and wrapping things up, if you're wanting to teach this, I mean, even in the last 27 minutes that we've been talking, you can't do it justice probably without seeing it and diving into it a little bit deeper, but maybe for a coach that's considering it, what kind of suggestions would you have for that, for that individual, maybe related to who to go check out. You've mentioned some of the DVDs and things they can watch skills of your players, uh, abilities of your players. What, what, what should they consider before saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and make this one of, or maybe my major, my, my primary defense.
1: I would say um, definitely look at silly Dominguez. I would say Ron Hunter and his, his assistant kind of is the guy you would talk to Claude Pardue who's at um, Tulane with um, Coach Hunter. One of my good friends um, used to be my assistant, a really good head, head girls coach at um, Lanier High School, Tim Slater, has done a great job. We do it a little differently. Tim does a couple things differently than I do, but he would be a good resource. But more importantly, research it. Um, you know, I, I see it every year when I go to clinics, and I don't go to as many anymore um, because I, I feel like I've got a really good network of people who want to grow and pour into me and share with me. So I don't get to the clinics like the Nike clinics anymore. I, I did this so much as a young coach. But I would say, don't just hop on something. I see so many guys that write down 30 things at a clinic and they're like, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. That's impossible. If matchup zone something you really want and you really want to get good at, you have to research it. You have to really understand how to teach it. Um, you've got to do the research where you understand all of the avenues of it. And you're going to learn some things as you install it and as you um, you're going to grow with it. But I would say, you know, the research process and don't be afraid to reach out to people this game. You know, and I mean, and I talk about it in Georgia all the time. You know, we just created the Georgia Basketball Coaches Association here in Georgia. And my big platform with that, with creating it as the president, I say, hey, man, we have got to grow this game. Um, cause I think back when I was a young coach, there was just not a lot, not enough mentoring and sharing and growing. And I think that's where this game can be amazing. I think if we can, um, figure out ways to help young coaches or help other coaches, I mean, I, I've been doing it a while and I promise you, I reach out to coaches that I trust all the time and get their advice, get their mentoring. I mean, mentoring can go both ways. You can mentor somebody and at the same time they can mentor you. And if you ever think you figure it out, man, you, you've already lost. If you think you figured it all out, you're, yeah, you're yeah. in this game.
0: Uh, before I let you go, you know, Coach does a great job of sharing. Where can they connect with you, maybe on social media, to grow the game and maybe just learn from you?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, white heart hoops. I mean, guys, I'm a thief. Um, half the stuff on there you're going to mm-hmm. see, I probably got from someone else, probably 99.999% of it. Um, But I'll share anything. I mean, I, uh, you know, one of my best friends is Layson Perkins. He is a guru. Um, And, you know, and through my connections with him, I mean, tell me what you're looking for. Um, I've got unbelievable data on and, and set after set after set on fast draw. I'm connected with unbelievable people in the game, and I feel like it's the right thing to do is share the game. Anything I can help with? I'm on I'm Whiteheart Hoops at Whiteheart Hoops on Twitter. Um, you hit me with something. If it's not, I'm going to try to respond within 24 hours, and then I'll email you whatever I have, or I'll email you the resource to get what you need. And I just feel like that's how you pour into people because I've had unbelievable coaches pour into me.
0: A ton of great stuff, Coach Allen Whiteheart, Milton High School. Coach, thanks so much for for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.